Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing. This message is by Kevin Vanderput. I really believe that God's got a, a significant word for us this morning. Um, and so, yeah, I just, as, as it was said, I just invite you really to open your hearts and receive from Him this morning. A um, couple of weeks ago now, a um, couple of us young people from the church went down to Belgium for a youth conference. And the youth conference had a theme. The theme was called Drop Zone. And so it was in reference to Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8, or going to all the world and make disciples so we would be dropped into different parts of Belgium or of the world um, and represent God there. And when I heard about this theme, I was thinking about it for a while. And the first thing that came to my mind was really, um, well, what, what, what's the drop zone or who were the first people that used the drop zone? It was the army. And so when the army would drop their soldiers from a plane, how many of you know that a plane traveled fast? Yeah, it goes quite fast, right? So when, when the plane is going and the soldiers have to jump in the parachutes, um, actually, because the plane travels that fast, they only have between 30 seconds and two minutes to reach their drop zones. So if the, if the captain goes like, jump, 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 they have to jump right away. Otherwise, no matter how much they steer their parachute or try to reach the drop zone, they just won't make it. The objective will be missed. The mission will be a fail. Uh, and that's not really good. So this morning, I want to talk to you about obedience. Because that's really what's needed when that jump is made is direct and full obedience. When the captain says jump or whoever, whatever his name is, you jump. And so when God says jump, we jump. Um, and say, so I want to talk to you about um, a guy called Abraham. You might have heard of him. Um, he's quite famous, at least in the Bible. Uh, and so his story is found in Genesis chapter 22. Uh, and we're going to read it together. And Abraham was really a guy that understood what obedience meant, just like those soldiers. Um, and we've been looking at a theme of living like Jesus um, as a church. And Jesus also understood complete obedience from the Father. He, when he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, uh, he said, Father, I publicly say this now so that they know it is you doing it. It is not me. You doing this through me. So he was in completely, complete dependence on the Father, just like Abraham was completely obedient as we're going to see. So let's read this together. Genesis 22, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. This is starting really good. Uh, Abraham got called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out to the place God had told him about. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham took the wood, placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them were walking together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? 
God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, he replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for I now know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. For now I know that you truly fear God. God tested Abraham's faith to get to that sentence. For now I know that you truly fear God. And so what is this fear of God and why are we looking at Abraham out of all the characters in the Bible? Well, actually, Abraham um, was called, was, was um, described as a friend of God. And there are only two people in the Bible that are described as friends of God. Now, I believe God had many more friends and we called to be his friends. But there are two people that were described as friends of God. It was Moses and Abraham. If we looked in Second uh, Chronicles it says um, really quickly, Oh God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people of Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend, Abraham? So Abraham was a friend of God. And what's interesting in that Psalm 25, there's going to be a lot of scriptures this morning, but scriptures is truth and scriptures sets us free. Truth is our freedom. So that's why I just believe we need some more. So we're going to have a lot. Psalm 25, 14 says, The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. So we see that Abraham is a friend of God, but God's friends are those who fear him. So what is this fear of God? Well, let me tell you right away, it's not being afraid of God, but it's the fear of the Lord is really an awe, a reverence to God because God is a good father, just as we were saying earlier, but he's also God Almighty, God who rules and reigns, God who created the universe, the earth, all the stars. So he's that God as well. And sometimes to understand what something is, it's easier to describe what it's not. And so the fear of God, what it's not, is familiarity. And what is familiarity, you're going to ask me? Well, let's take a simple example. Let's say um, familiarity, you're going to behave differently with some people that you're familiar with, that you know, than with some people you might not know that well. Let's say you're hanging out with your friends and you're about to go meet them and you're comfortable with them. They know you. So you're about to go to them and you're like, what's up, G? What one, fam? Whatever you say to your friends, I don't know. Um, that was a London slang. I'm really proud of using that because uh, I'm not from London. I'm from Belgium. We're not that cool over there. So, um, And so you, you, you talk like that to your friends because you're comfortable with them, because you know them, you have that relationship. Let's say now you're about to meet your future in-laws. Uh, you, you, you're like, hey, what's up? No, you can't really do that, can you? So you're probably going to be like, uh, good morning, sir. Good morning, ma'am. You look lovely this morning. Now, may I kiss your daughter? No, it's um, it's going to be... Is going to be a bit different because the relationship is different. There is a respect there. There is a, a, a reverence. Maybe you, you want to be polite and on your, your best behavior because they are your in-laws. And, and so you're not familiar with them. Um, and let's look at an example where people got familiar with God. Quickly, two examples in the Bible because you might get away with it if you 
treat your in-laws as familiar, but with God it gets really dangerous. So let's look at um, a story in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Um, is the story of Eli's sons, and it simply says, Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's son would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork. While the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling, the servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever he brought up be given, given to Eli's sons. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. Sometimes a servant would come even before the animal's fat had been burned on the altar. He would demand raw meat before it had even been boiled so that it could be used for roasting. The man offering the sacrifice might reply, take as much as you want, but the fat must be burned first. Then the servant would demand, no, give it to me now or I'll take it by force. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offering with contempt. And a bit later in the chapter, it says, Now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his son was seducing young woman who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Now how crazy and a bit intense is this story? They are Eli's sons and they have a, a, a responsibility at the temple and, and people come and, and come to worship the Lord and, and they seduce the women that come to worship God or they, or they take from the, from the sacrifices so that the sacrifice is not the best for God anymore. Um, and it sounds crazy, right? But how often do you hear today in today's church of uh, abusive leadership in one way or another? How often do you hear about a, a, a pastor or a man that went and cheated with another woman on the congregation because of whatever reason? That's, that's the same as that. About the sacrifice, how often do we come into church and not bring our best to God? Our lives have been purchased by God. We are living sacrifices. How many times do we not bring our best to God? And in our everyday lives, that's pretty similar to what's happening here. Can you see how similar that is? And the mistake of Eli's sons was simply that because nothing happened in the moment, they thought, oh, God maybe doesn't mind, or God doesn't care, or God is too busy. They mis they've mistaken the delayed judgment for an absence of judgment. But let me tell you, every action we have, we do, or we take, have consequences. And even though there was a delayed judgment, judgment still came upon them. And so they've mistaken an, a, a delayed judgment for an absence of it. We're going to look at another story really quick uh, in Acts chapter 5. Let me set it up for you. At the end of Acts chapter 4, um, there's a guy that comes at that point, all the disciples, the apostles, the, the, the early church, they, they live... Um, uh, they, they share everything. Basically, they have nothing of their own. They share everything. They put everything together. Um, so uh, there's this guy that comes and he had a land. And he sells the land and he brings all that he sold, all the amounts he got, and he brings it to the church. And he's like, here you go. I want to bless the church. And so they all rejoice and they're very happy. Enters Ananias and Zephira in chapter 5. It says, but there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Zephira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart 
You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young man got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife comes in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young man came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone who was Everyone else who heard what had happened, the apostles were performing mighty miracles, miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. What's happening here? And Ananias Sapphira had also a land and they decide to sell it and they get an amount of money and they decide to give it to the church. Now, as Peter says in the passage, that's completely fine. It's their land. They do whatever they want with it. It was theirs to sell or not to sell. They could do what they wanted with the money. But when confronted by human beings about the amount, they say, yes, it's the full amount. And so they lie about this amount because let me tell you, in the end, you will serve who you fear. And what's happening there is that Ananias and Zephira feared men more than they feared God. And so when confronted about the amount of money, they say, oh, it's the, the other guy, he gave the full amount, right? It's probably better in the eyes of men that we say, yes, it's the full amount. And so they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's the full amount. You sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You lie to the Holy Spirit because it's not the full amount. And so then consequence, judgment falls upon them right away. So you will end up serving who you fear. And so the fear of man was bigger than the fear of God. And so this fear of God is really, really important. And yes, again, God is our friend. God is loving. God is kind. But he's also the God who reigns and rules. And he's also the God who's strong in battle. And he purchased our life. And so he owns it all. We'll go more into that later. But there are some promises that come with the fear of God. Let's look at some of them quickly. In Psalm 31, 19, he says, How great is the goodness you have stored for those who? You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, bless, blessing them before the watching world. So how great is the goodness you have stored up for those who? Uh, tap your neighbor on the shoulder and tell him you're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. Cool. Let's quickly look at the next one. Psalm 145. It says, He grants the desires of those who? He hears their cries for help and rescues them. Tell your neighbor we're getting somewhere. All right, let's look at the next one. Isaiah 11, 2, And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel, might, and the spirit of knowledge and the... All right, tell your neighbor we're getting somewhere. So we see in all those passages that God gives so much to the people who fear him. There's goodness. He grants the desires. There's joy. There's wisdom. There's understanding. All of that comes to the people who fear the Lord. So 
It's just so key, and we see it all throughout the Bible. If you ever get the time, honestly, look it up. How many times it comes up, the fear of the Lord. And how, there's this great book that someone really famous wrote. It's called The 150 Themes, and it has a section on the fear of God. Um, I'm talking about Pastor Colin. It's okay. Um, and so uh, it, it has a whole section there, and it's really good to just see everything that's linked to it. Um, I want to take us back to Abraham's story quickly because we, um, we just read it and then we, we pointed out the fear of the Lord. But I think so many times we read those stories in the Bible and because, because we know the ending, because we're in our couch and we're comfortable, we're just, we're just like, yeah, that's cool. That's a cool story. But I don't think we realize exactly what was required of Abraham in that moment. Like that sit, this situation is completely crazy. Like so many other stories in the Bible is, is, is completely crazy. Like let me tell you. So Abraham's got a son. He's been waiting for him for years. Him and Sarah have been waiting, praying, believing. And finally his son gets here. And God's like, you know that son you love? You know that one you love so much? You got only one. It's not like he got 10. He got one. He got one and God comes and says, you have to go sacrifice him for me. I'm not a parent. But if you are, you can probably relate to that more than I do. But it just seems completely like, okay, God, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go sacrifice my son. I, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't think we realize sometimes. And so Abraham, we've seen, was a man who feared the Lord. So he knew if God says something, I have to obey. If God says jump, I jump. Just like the army people out of the plane, Abraham had to take that step of faith and jump. And so it says, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, who you love so much, take him as a go sacrifice him. As a burnt offering to the mountains, which I will show you. Now, look at this next bit. The next morning, Abraham got up early. Right, like, again, we don't get it. He got up early in a sense that there was no discussion. There was no delay in his response to God. How many times do we as Christians try to kind of resonate with God? Like, God, yeah, yeah, you want me to sacrifice you want me to sacrifice my son? Yeah, 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 okay, okay. I, I don't, I'm not sure it's a good idea, God. Like, I don't see how that's going to work, God. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. Maybe, maybe I'll do it next week. Maybe I'll never do it because it's my son. Like, how many times do we try to have those conversations with God? Let's be honest. Like, there was no delay in Abraham's answer. He didn't say, okay, God, let me think about it, right? Let me, let me, let me process this information. No, he, there was direct, complete obedience from Abraham. He got up early the next morning. And then you forget, Abraham's a married guy, right? That night, he had to go to sleep in the same bed as Sarah. And, and he probably, Sarah probably went like, Abraham, did you have a good day? Yeah, 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 it was all right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 it was, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, interesting, yeah. Um, okay, okay, cool. Uh, did, uh, did God say anything? Uh, yeah, 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 God said something, yeah. Uh, so he said uh, we should go and sacrifice Isaac. Like, how crazy. It, it, she probably went, oh, no, 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 that's not okay. You can't go sacrifice my only son. Like, I'm not, yeah, how crazy. She probably went mad. She's the mom. It's even worse than the dad. Like, I don't know. My mom would have flipped. Uh, um, okay, because I'm a son and she likes me. Um, can you picture that night how hard it was for Abraham and his wife 
But then maybe, just maybe, it didn't happen like that. Maybe Sarah was a God-fearing woman, just maybe. And so when Abraham went and said, well, yeah, God did speak today. And he said, we should go and sacrifice our only son, Isaac, the son of our promise that we've been waiting for all these years. He said, to go sacrifice him as a burnt offering. She probably took a minute and then said, okay, if that's what God is doing, if that was God is saying, let's go for it. We trust him. We trust him. Let's go for it. And so Abraham goes early the next morning. And then he, see, he does his donkey and stuff. Let's go to the next bit. Um, he chopped wood for the fire. so great. And look at this. On the third day of their journey, it's not like he went outside in the garden, put some wood on the fire, burned it. He had to walk three days. For three days, he had these thoughts in his head. I'm about to kill my son. Uh, how is this going to work? I don't know. Um, it's, it's like, uh, how is this going to work? And his son is right beside him. They're walking together and they're probably having conversation. And, I, and, and Abraham is probably like, hey, son, do you want to hear a joke? And Isaac's like, yeah, yeah, dad, tell me a joke. Uh, do you want to hear a joke about construction? Yeah, yeah, dad, I'm still working on it. And, and then Abraham probably went like, man, you don't even know I'm about to kill you. And I can't even tell you. I can't let you know. Like, do you not see? This is completely crazy what's happening right now. But even though all those thoughts were running in his head, how many times do we see a situation where like, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how this is going to be possible. I know I can't do this. How is God going to make a way? How? But Abraham trusted the whole way. Obedience. Three days he walked. And finally... They get to the place. And another aspect of this story that blows me away and I don't think we, we realize. Let's look, at, um, let's look at the next bit. No, let's go back. Sorry. All right, cool. You're so good, Bethany. Um, so it says, um, wait, it's not there. Oh, um, sorry. Yeah, he chopped the fire for a burnt offering. That's good. And there, there you go. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. Now, when I first, and for many times you hear this story, and I always thought, at least in my mind, Isaac was a little boy. He was a kid. But actually, scholars that have studied this passage, they, they, they assess that Isaac at that point was between 20 and 30 years old. That's why they laying the, the, the wood on his shoulders, because at that point, he's stronger than his dad. So he's got the wood on his shoulders. He's... He's the man, like he's ripped, you know, it's, it's Isaac, he's tw between 20 and 30, he's looking good, he's strong. Let's go to the next bit, because then it says, let's go to the next one. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Do you see anything saying Isaac reacted? Like if my dad's about to tie me, I'm like, oh, that's not going down. I'm about to drop you. No, I love my dad. I'm getting But like there's no reaction from Isaac. There's nothing because Isaac is a God-fearing son. He knows I have to trust my father. If my father is doing this, there's a good plan behind it. There's no reaction. He could easily, he was stronger than his dad. Otherwise, Abraham would have been carrying the wood. But Isaac is sitting there in complete obedience to his own dad because, you know, his dad is in complete obedience to the Lord Most High. And so he waits and trusts. But her heart must have been, like he knew. When he gets tired, I mean, you know, 
I'm about to go on the fire. Like there's no, there's no, why are you telling me that? Is this another joke? Like, I don't know. No, he knows. He knows this is happening. But, but he trusts completely his dad. And so in this story, we see that there is no delay in Abraham's answer, that there's no discussion. How many times do we discuss? Like, we're like, God, God, use me. Use me to serve you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, go there. Oh, no, I don't know about that. Over there, it looks a bit scary. Go talk to that guy. No, God, he big. Like, maybe he's not going to like the fact that I tell you about him. Uh, I tell him about you. Um, you know, how many times do we have these discussions with God? How many times do we complain? Like, God, yeah, I'm going to do it. But is this really the best you got? Like, is this, I don't think this is a great plan. No. So often we complain, and complaint is going to be what holds the miracle from us. Because if God, if Abraham would have complained, if we wouldn't have gone for it, he wouldn't have seen God's provision and with, with the sovereign will fulfilled. And so often we do that. And just like Abraham had complete obedience, Complete dependence on God. God is requiring that of us every single day of our lives. Every single day of our lives. If God again purchased our lives, He purchased all of it. That means our time is in His hands. It belongs to Him. That means our friends, our family, everything that goes on in our lives belongs to Him. That's, that means if God says, go do something, even if it doesn't fit with our agenda, we're going to be like, okay, God, I'm going. Okay, God, even if it seems crazy, I'm doing it. There needs to be complete dependence, complete obedience from us every single day. And if we're going back, like, we talk about revival so much, right? We want to see great things. We want to see worthing completely change. We want to see the church grow. But if we... We, we can't be expecting to keep on doing the same things and expecting a different result. If we want to see this happen, it's going to require something different from us. It's going to require that sort of obedience that Abraham had. That sort of trust and submission that Abraham had in this story is going to require this fear of the Lord. Knowing God, you in control. My life is yours. It's not my own. I, I, I no longer live. It is you who live in me. So do whatever you want. Take me wherever you want to take me. Let me talk to people. I want to see your will be done. There needs to be this this resolving us like I, yeah, I'm, I'm determined to see this happen and so often we cry out for these things to happen but we're not ready to take responsibility and to do what it requires to see it, to see it happen a couple of weeks ago I had this picture that I just want to share with you maybe just close your eyes and just and just picture this and it's, it's going to be one of those pictures where your first thought is going to be, I've heard that before, I've seen it before, forget it. <laughs> Park that for an instant and just look at it with fresh, fresh eyes. And so I'm, I'm coming to church. Imagine it's here in Worthing. I'm, I'm coming to church. And, and, and there are people that are queuing down the parking lot, down from Worthing College, through the parking lot. They're queuing all the way. And so like, I'm like, well, why are they queuing? Like, the door is open. What's going on? And so I go in, and I walk up the stairs, and I go here to the main room, and, and the, door, the doors are closed. And I'm like, why are the door closed? People are here. They should come in. 
and I open the doors and suddenly I'm hit by God's presence. It's so thick, it's so real. And the room is full, packed of people on their knees, worshiping God, weeping, crying out to God. And I quickly understand, man, we need a second service. <laughs> but, but the room is full and people are waiting. People are waiting because they're like, no, I need to meet with God today. I need to be here. I need to go in. No matter how long I have to wait, I wait for it to be over and for me to have a space in this room so that I can meet with the King of Kings. And God left me with that one sentence. Do you dare to believe that this can happen? So I'm asking you, church, this morning, do you dare to believe? We talk about it all the time. We talk about it like it's something we really want, but do we really want it? And do we not only want it, but do we believe it can happen? Come on, do you believe that people on a Sunday can run to church and you're going to ask them, well, like, they, they don't know why they're here. They don't know. I don't know why I'm here, but I know I need to be here this morning. I know something's going to happen. I know my life's going to be changed. You know, revival has a cost. There's a cost to it. And revival isn't easy that what you live in now, it's harder. It requires more of you. Because in revival, people come knock on your door at 3 in the morning and, and you're going to open the door and you're going to be like, what happened? They're going to be like, I don't know why I'm here. I, I don't know, but I just know I need to be here. I know I need to be here. What are you going to do? Close the door on them? No, you're going to open. I know why you're here. Let me tell you about Jesus. He loves you so much. We got to understand we can't live for ourselves. If God has purchased our lives, it's so that we can live it for the sake of others, for the ones out there on that football field that are completely ignorant. We need to go and reach them. We need to live our lives as a daily sacrifice, completely obedient to God so that they will be transformed. So that there are many thousands of people are in Worthing would be completely transformed so that this building is too small and we need to go meet on that field because thousands of people will come to hear the truth from God. We need to stop playing games. I'm sorry. It's so true. And I'm talking to myself as well. It's so easy to say, God, we want all of that. But then when God says something, we need to be ready to do it. And so if we go back to that, to that plane analogy, if, if, if we are the, at the edge of the plane and the plane is you holding on, it's your zone of comfort, it's everything you know, it's this building, those chairs, the people, it's, it's your life, it's your job, it's everything. And God is like, jump, jump, I got people out there. I want you to reach, jump. My best for you is down there. And you're like, God is scary. God, I don't know. Am I going to land? It's dark. I don't know. Jump. We got to jump. We got to let go of the plane and jump. And it might look scary, yeah. But you know, weakness, he is strong. God, every time you're going to take that jump, God is going to be faithful to carry you. Do you think I feel capable of doing this this morning? No. Like, honestly, I was nervous. Like, when I did it in Horsham, I talked to you, I was ready to run away. Because I know I'm not capable of doing this by myself. But every time I take that jump, God is faithful to speak through you. God is faithful to use you. God is faithful. It's not you doing the miracles. It's not you having the words. It's the Holy Spirit inside of you, breathing and speaking truth. So we got to jump every single day, 24-7. 
God, I have two hours now in the train down to London. Who can I speak to? Is there someone I can do something with? God, I have two hours before my next meeting. Who can I pray for? Lay someone on my heart. Because God will do it. God will do it. Because if you make yourself available, God is faithful to fill that void. And so if you want to see your family change, if we want to see our friends change, our communities change, we got to live that daily sacrifice so that. There's always a so that in the Bible. God is doing all of this in us. You're here this morning receiving this truth so that your families will never be the same, so that your friends will come here next week, so that this church will be too small in a month. This building will be too small in a month. Come on. We got, we got to believe it. It's, it's, if anything's happening today, if something is being, is being initiated and rooted inside of us, but then the real, the real thing starts tomorrow. The, the, the day to day, that, that grinding, that, that, that doing, every day, it, it, it requires something of us. I want to read one last scripture. It's found in Haggai. I don't think you have that one, actually, Bethany. I'm sorry. In Haggai 2, it says, um, well, actually, in Haggai 1, it says first that why are people building luxurious houses while my house, says the Lord, lies in ruins? And I think too many times, us as Christians, we, we're busy building our own lives and looking after our own goals and, and making a nice house and going after all of that while God's house, His kingdom, His church lies in ruins. And so Haggai challenges the people in that book. It's two chapters. Read them and read them again. And then when you're done, read them again. And let those words sink in because it's so powerful. Haggai challenges the people. He's like, you got to stop. Go and build the house of God before you try to look after yourself. Because you've tried to harvest something and you've harvested little. Because you're looking after yourself more than you're looking after what God wants. And then in chapter 2, there is this incredible promise that comes from the Lord. And it says, for this is, it's verse 6 to 9, chapter 2. For this is what the Lord of the heaven army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven armies. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven armies, have spoken. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth. I will shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. And the glory of this future temple will be greater than the glory of the past temple. We hear about all those revival stories, all those things, and we're like, wow, if we could only live that again. But God has promised us that the future is greater than what's in the past. And I believe we'll see it. I believe so strongly that we'll see it. I believe that kingdom faith has a key role to play in the, in the unraveling of this. 
But it's going to require us to jump off that plane. It's going to require us to live for others more than for ourselves. It's going to require that daily sacrifice of our own life so that the change will come. One last verse. Timmy, do you want to come up, please? Um, it's found in Genesis, uh, Exodus. Sorry, I think you have that one, Bethany. Yeah. Um, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us directly or we will die. It then says, don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. As the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. This morning, you all have a responsibility to respond to this. I can't do it for you. Pastor Jonathan can't do anything for you. It's between you and God. You have to make that decision. No matter, no matter what my role is, the, 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 the leadership of Kingdom Faith, the guys here of the CLT can have the, the greatest vision, can have the greatest passion, the, the most godly desires. But if you don't get along with it, nothing will happen. Because if one part of the body doesn't play its part, the body can't function properly. You all have a role to play in this. You all have a responsibility. I do too. We each have to play our part so that Crawley, Worthing, Burgess Hill, Horsham will never be the same. So that, come on, 60,000 people. How many people are in Worthing? 118,000. 118,000. 118,000. Come on, there might be more churches. Maybe they have 200, 300 people each in the church. There's about 115,000 left to reach. 115,000. Do we believe we can actually have them all in the church? Do we believe they actually can all live devoted to God? Do we believe that bars and pubs and, and whatever can close down so that people will come and meet with God instead? So that, so that all of that will pass away, but that they know I need to live for eternity. I live for something greater. I live so that the next town is transformed. And so in this story, you can either be Israel or you can be Moses. Remember Moses, second person that was called the friend of God? He was also a God-fearing man because we've seen that the friends of God are those who fear him, right? And so Moses knows in that cloud is dark, there's lightning, there's everything going on. But he knows that's where God is. And so he steps in. It's like, I got to go there. I got to go meet with God. But Israel doesn't have the fear of the Lord. They are afraid of God. And so they stand back because they're afraid. They stand back and they're like, no, that's not for me. Moses, you go. And then you tell us what God is saying. You have a choice. Do you, do you want to be in the midst of it? No matter how crazy it looks, no matter how hard it sounds. But knowing that God is going to carry you through, that God's going to make a way, that God's going to speak to you. Or do you rather sit back and hear about all those stories? 
but not being a part of it. Today you have a choice. I know there's not a physical cloud, but we're going to sing this song that simply says, I see the cloud and I step in. I see the cloud and I run in. This morning, I want us to stand. If we can all stand quickly. I'm sorry, I'm about to run over time. If we all stand and I want us to, I know we don't do this often maybe, but I don't really care. We're going to step out of our rows, of our pews, of whatever you call them, of our chairs. We're going to take that one step physically. Don't do it now. Don't do it now. Just, just wait. I, I, want you to, I want you to just process this. Don't just do it because I say so. But if you say, that's me, I need to go meet with God so that everything will change. I need, to, I need the Lord to teach me this fear of God, this obedience, this complete dependence, all oh, reverence of Him, so that nothing will ever be the same. Then I want you to take that one step forward, that one step somewhere, as, as if you're stepping towards that cloud, as if you say, God, I see the cloud, I'm stepping in, show me your glory. This is what this song says, simply. So we're going to sing that together and just respond. If you have to come fill this whole place here in front, come with me. It's all fine. Thank you very much. I'm sorry. I don't care what it looks like. I'm past that. I don't care what it sounds like. But cry out to God today like you've never cried out to Him before. Commit afresh to Him. Surrender afresh to Him. Because today's the day. Today's the day. We got to make that decision this morning so that. So let's just sing this song together and really just declare it to God with your heart. This is between you and Him. Tell Him, I'm not afraid, whatever it looks like. Whatever it looks like, Lord. Hey. Tell him again, declare it to him this morning. God, I'm not afraid. Whatever it looks like, I'm not afraid. I need you. I'm stepping in. I'm stepping in. I'm not. Come on. Come on, Jesus. I really feel like, again, I can't force you to do this, but I really feel like if you're able, just get on your knees. Get on your knees as a sign of submission to God. And just, we're going to say those just two sentences again. I long to look on the face of the one that I adore. And just sing it to God. Sing it to God. Keep declaring it to God. Lord, Lord, show me. Teach me this fear of you, Lord. I'm nothing without you. Thank you, Father. Guys, this is... This is incredible, and, and God is right in the midst of what's happening. But let me tell you and remind you that in the end, it's not about today. It's not about right now. It's not about those emotions and feelings that are rushing through our veins, but it's about tomorrow. And tomorrow is when the rubber hits the road. Tomorrow is when you actually have to live that out. And, 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 and we hear every week. But you got to cultivate that daily. Yes, it's been established in you. But you got to cultivate that fear of the Lord. You got to cultivate that lifestyle. You got to cultivate that attitude of sacrifice in the secret place with God. It's daily. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, so much for what you have spoken this morning. 
for what you have established in us. Thank you, Lord, for tomorrow. Because next week's not going to look like last week. Because today I've made a commitment to live differently. To live in complete obedience to you, just like Abraham did. To chase out your sovereign will. To not just be another Christian, but offer my best to you daily. Because that's all you deserve. You have everything that I am. I am yours completely, entirely, Jesus. So, Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you all so much for coming to church today. It's been quite something. (laughs) And I don't really know how to end this, but thank you. Thank you so much for being here, for receiving the word. And... Go, go change Worthing. Because God's desire is every day for revival to be there. His desire doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he's done it before, he can do it again. Remind yourself that daily. And, and just live after that. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.